Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 239 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today we are talking about baby-led weaning and we will be covering this concept as well as the benefits. I'll be sharing some updates about Noah's food journey so far and I'll probably be asking Allie to remember like a million years back because Stella's almost five. I can't believe it. I know. Goodness. (laughs) Uh, Yes, we've been really excited to share this content because it has been episodes back. I don't know if we have any noted. I know I have one from her first birthday and we have an episode on being a taste adventurer but there was one uh after the breastfeeding podcast episode that i did not your breastfeeding one becky on stella and first foods so we will find that and link that in the show notes as far as archives and uh, this is a way to introduce your baby to solids Uh, necessarily the weaning part doesn't always have high grade impact as far as meaning that you need to reduce breastfeeding by any level, but it's the way of introducing solids into babies in a more whole food form. And we'll talk about, like Becky said, the benefits and approaches and considerations and concerns and all the things. Yes. Um, Before we dive in, any big updates? So we have just started our 12-week food as medicine virtual ketosis program, and that launched on May 5th. You can still sign up all the way through the month of May. So if you missed the opportunity, go on over to AllieMillerRD.com slash ketosis hyphen class. It is a deep dive in functional medicine. There are six hour and a half packed classes where we cover everything from thyroid to adrenals and hormones to leaky gut dysbiosis and digestive health to autoimmune conditions, neurological health, and really just being empowered with how to use food as medicine to support your body's needs. It's an awesome opportunity for you to focus on self-care if you're listening as a mama or a father, a great way to kind of recalibrate and invest in your own wellness, but also to make pantry staple changes for the whole family. So definitely go on over and check that out at Allie Miller RD hyphen, uh, backslash ketosis hyphen class. Yes. And for past episodes, you can check out episode 88, which is establishing your, uh, nourishing your, excuse me, nourishing your toddler and Stella's second birthday. So that's where I talk all about what she was eating from her age of age one into age two, pretty much reflecting on that past year and also her flourless chocolate birthday cake recipe. And then I know there's an episode earlier on where I did touch base on her first cake, which we'll talk about in a moment because I think it's a great baby lead weaning type of dish uh, with those mashed bananas in there. And uh, we also touched on baby lead weaning to some degree with guest Lily Nichols Yes. When we were talking about gestational diabetes and a, you know, real food approach to managing blood sugar control. Yep. 
Um, So I'll link those episodes in the show notes for today. Before we dive in, let's just have a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, Wild Foods. Yes. So Wild Foods is a company that puts quality, sustainability, and health first in all of their products. They have everything from coffee to turmeric to medicinal mushrooms, and every single product is painstakingly sourced from small farms around the globe. They have partnered with us to give you guys an exclusive discount. So when you use the code AllieMillerRD, you get 12% off your order, and that's at wildfoods.co. That's .co, not com. So pretty much in the world of pantry staples, this includes things like their wild harvested uh, hand-pulled vanilla beans, which I love using in my baked goods, in my smoothies and protein shakes, or even if I'm doing what I call a sexy coffee, (laughs) a little bit fancier than just adding the coconut oil and the uh, grass-fed butter, adding a little bit of that vanilla bean can really elevate it. Uh, They also have the cacao butter wafers. So this is a dairy-free fat to to do a fat-fueled coffee. I've also made some like white chocolate uh, over St. Patrick's Day. I did something fun with matcha and the cacao wafers and coconut butter and made a really fun green um, like white chocolate dish for Stell's. Uh, on the world of matcha, they have my favorite matcha available. Their wild matcha is of course stone ground green tea leaf. So you're getting all of that L-theanine, all of the EGCG and the antioxidants that we would see in a steeped tea leaf, but times 10 plus. So you get the amount of those nutrients equal to 10 glasses of regular brewed green tea. And the wild foods matcha is less grassy than a lot of the competitors on the market, really bright flavor profile. And I love to incorporate that as an alternate to coffee. And in the world of teas, they have some awesome caffeine-free blends like the coconut chai and the Thai ghee, as well as their twilight black tea as a caffeinated option. And I noticed that when I switch coffee down to less than four times a week, that my adrenals are much happier with me, and I see much more favorable even blood sugar throughout the week. I'll be putting on another CGM and playing with that, and we'll share that in a future episode. So you can go on over to wildfoods.co that's .co and use the code AllieMillerRD at checkout. Again, check out any of their pantry staples from their dried turmeric to their Cocotropics, which is that blend of reishi and chaga mushroom with maca and wild turmeric and cacao. A really great alternate to a morning beverage or even middle of the day pick-me-up. And you can do it iced as well as we're heading into the summertime. So go on over to wildfoods.co and use the code AllieMillerRD at checkout. All right, so diving right into today's topic, I really think I actually first learned about baby-led weaning from you and seeing you do this with Stella, and it just seemed so intuitive that I was like, I'm going to earmark that, and that's what I will likely do you know, with my child when I have one. And fast forward, here we are doing it with Noah. Yeah. Um, but what um, led you maybe to baby-led weaning with Stella and... and um, you know, had you heard about it before? Yeah. So the big thing that I was drawn to was allowing the child's intuition to guide the process. So I have a really big problem. And the first 
quote unquote baby solids that are recommended still through pediatricians, which are oatmeal or rice cereal, are really devoid of nutrient density. They are a processed refined carbohydrate that are synthetically enriched. So we're looking at that folic acid instead of that methylated active folate. And we're looking at essentially a naked carb, you know, something that's just a starch, highly processed, it's gonna spike their blood sugar levels and not providing them protein or quality fat and very minimal in the world of antioxidants, phyto compounds, or really anything redeeming. You're pretty much just getting that synthetic enrichment and just a texture to teach the baby to swallow. The other issue with those grain or rice-based cereals and um, the oatmeal-based cereals, we've seen considerations of toxicity. So some of the rice cereals having high amounts of arsenic uh, beyond the toxicity that that synthetic nutrient can drive. And we see often when moms are feeding with a spoon to a baby that maybe it's done too early and maybe it's done against the child's will mm-hmm. or desire. Um, I've seen all too often like eating at a restaurant and, and seeing a mom talking to her partner and just kind of scooping that spoon and shoving it in baby's mouth and scooping the cheek and shoving that in. And the baby's kind of like gag reflexing over here and doesn't seem into it, doesn't seem like they have a will or a say in the process. And so the idea of baby led weaning is starting with whole single ingredient foods, nothing that's synthetically enriched. I was very big proponent of keeping Stella grain-free completely for the first two years of her life. So beyond gluten, we actually kept grains out completely for the first two years. And that's because the integrity of the gut lining optimally is going to be sealed at about that two-year age range. There's a little bit of flexion depending on the child and their development, but it can take upwards of two full years for that gut blood barrier to seal. And so I wanted to take a more paleo, low inflammatory or anti-inflammatory, if you will, approach to her intake where she's getting good nutrient density, good antioxidants, um, good food as medicine without any stressors to her GI tract. Um, And so the concept with baby led weaning for me was to start with single ingredient foods and we did not start her eating foods until she was at seven months of age. Uh, but she was uh, pretty in her torso and core, uh, pretty adept with sitting. She was sitting up on her own at I think five months or four and a half months. And so we would sometimes put her in her high chair to do what we called food exploration or in her baby swing, we would work a lot with scents. And we started that whole process at about four and a half to five months. So um, doing food grade essential oils as scents um, or like giving her a whole carrot Uh, that had its greens intact or a a big hunk of a bell pepper to pretty much hold and look at. So she's working with her dexterity skills, her smell, and really starting to drive that salivary enzyme production. And then I did start her, which breaks the rules of baby led weaning. To be fair, I'm not like a baby led weaning um, based on how it's certified or what the terms are or whatnot. I'm just eating, having my child eat whole real foods on her own will. So what we did before we started with her first food, which was avocado, is about that similar time we were doing apple slices in a fruit net that was mesh. And the idea with that, yes, a fruit is a naked carb, but that kind of follows actually the Montessori process of introducing first foods and the idea that a raw apple has a lot of enzymes in it. And so the sucking process of eating that raw fruit through the net, um, because apple is one that's more dangerous of a choke hazard for them to be able to to gum off or bite off a bigger chunk, um, through the fruit net, she was able to mash 
mash that kind of into like an applesauce type thing. And that sucking process is activating her salivary enzymes and her also enzymes of her gut. Because remember, breast milk is not pasteurized. So breast milk is coming in hand with both live active probiotics and also enzymes intact. You know, there is that lactase within the lactose and there's other enzyme dynamics that are provided in the breast milk. So by starting to teach her through that sucking and smelling and tasting, that was a way to kind of prime her digestion. And then we went for her first food to be a fat choice, technically botanically a fruit of avocado, but a fat as far as impact on blood sugar. Yeah. I think a lot of parents can get excited about the milestone of, you know, if you hear four months, that's way early. I can't imagine like Noah wasn't sitting up at all or remotely interested in food, but that four to six month window, even I think you get excited about the milestone and you're like, okay, it's, you know, your six month birthday, here's the the food and they may or may not be ready for that. So I think that's something to be mindful too, is looking for those signs of readiness. And for Noah, you know, he wasn't quite sitting on his own. He could do it for a few seconds, which some schools of thought are like, oh, that's enough. If they can sit with support, um, I felt he was ready in terms of like the taste exploration because he was literally reaching for stuff off of our plate at that six month mark. So we did the same thing with like berries in the fruit nut to start, um, apples mostly in the fruit nut, although he definitely <laughs> prefers the apples out of it. So I have to watch him like really, really carefully. But that's it without the nut yep. first. Yep. And it's just like, it's just like yep. when you give him a bottle exclusively instead of a breast, they're like, why do I have to work for this? Right. <laughs> Right, exactly. And now he like loves apples and I have to totally undo it until he's swallowing a little better. Um, but yeah, I think that, that, you know, cautioning that forced advancement of the child until they're displaying those signs of, of readiness. And the signs of readiness coincide with the way that their digestive tract is yeah. actually maturing and preparing for food. So once they're sitting up, once they're showing interest in the plate, um, and reaching for food, not before. Most definitely. And, you know, when we think about the sitting element and the connection to the digestive process, it's that whole vasovagal tone. And so we're thinking about the esophageal sphincter and the ability of the gastric pouch and the esophageal sphincter to, to seal or close. And so you do need some, uh, in your autonomic nervous system and also some tone in the core. And, and that's where that sitting up is really appropriate to drive that peristalsis or the movement of the food down. Otherwise they're going to have a lot more spitting up, a lot more indigestion and colic or discomfort, mm -hmm. you know? So I think that's important to note. So both the readiness and I think the willingness is huge and that's the big part that I like about the baby led weaning approach it, for Stella she played with avocado for two and a half weeks and we didn't even worry about bringing in another food because we were like when she's ready she's going to start crushing mm -hmm. it and when she starts crushing it then you know we moved forward and we went from avocado to salmon was her second food and we did the salmon with coconut oil uh, at that time because I wanted to keep her dairy free in the beginning and then her third food was sweet potato and that wasn't brought in until month eight. So like she was literally like a food every kind of two weeks. And then once we moved from sweet potato into blueberries by eight and a half months, then she was eating, we went right away to grass fed burger patty. And, and then we kind of rocked and rolled from there, some egg yolk and, and so forth. And I'll share more on Noah's foods in a, in a bit here. Um, so in terms of kind of the, the pros of baby led weaning or the benefits, obviously that self-regulation piece yes. is huge and, and the will and drive and desire to 
eat. Let's talk through maybe a few more of the benefits. Yeah, I think the ability to self-regulate also aiding in satiety so understanding when they're satisfied versus Mm -hmm. if you're spoon feeding you're just waiting until the bowl's empty right so if their hands are mashing and crushing food and and you put it down and they keep going for it then they're learning about regulation Uh, we're also seeing a lot more that pincer grip and the fine motor skills so great dexterity and that's where we laugh i think there is classic changes in sex where girls tend to have more of those fine motor skills boys are more gross motor Mm -hmm. skills So I laugh at the moms that have, like Stella never needed anything around her um, mat. Like I've seen people with like painting, Oh yeah. uh, what is it called? Like painting cloth (laughs) almost. Or like a blanket under the the high chair because these boys are just like blah all over. And Stella (laughs) Stella was very like delicate. Like she was like sewing, you know, with her food. It was so funny. And you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a gender thing, but it's just kids are different. Um, So fine motor skills is a big thing there. They're getting fresh, nutrient-dense foods. I really believe also that it's easy and it can work with the flow, especially as they advance into like the eight to 10 month window and they're eating more foods that you're serving at your dinner table already. Um, So that's fantastic. Uh, It provides a more relaxed environment. It can be economical if you're buying the same things and um, it can definitely expand their palate to be more adventurous. So it was important for us to get like the bitterness of the blueberry early on and also some of the uh, more alkaloid based flavors. So broccoli came in pretty early as well with the sulfur compounds. And I think that that's really important to set up a successful toddler eating when they are not exposed to these, again, refined carbohydrates and sweet flavor profiles. They're getting more bitter, um, they're getting more savory, and and that's a really great piece of the puzzle and I do believe I haven't seen any research on this but I believe innately and intuitively I mean at this age they are so wired to survive they have such willpower and they know how their body feels and so I do believe that there tends to be a little bit less food sensitivity or food reactivity because they will self-regulate in that sense as well if something doesn't feel good Mm -hmm. they're not going to choose to eat it and so you might choose to give them three different foods in their BLW approach and if they don't go for all the sweet potato on the plate that's not something that you would you know give them or force them you would say okay well the next time we'll give you a larger portion of what it looks like you really enjoy the avocado and the burger or whatnot Yep. And it's super interesting even seeing, giving Noah three choices, like certain days he might go first for the avocado or the berries. And um, I believe in in trusting his process and that his body really knows what it needs. Yes. And then in the world of other benefits, there is some compelling literature out there that baby led weaning may actually prevent obesity, especially child obesity, um, non-alcoholic fatty liver, that all comes with that excessive fructose intake and again, the refined processed diets. So again, it's that connection to that satiety and responsiveness that can drive healthy weight trajectories. Yep. And then I just wanted to speak to for a moment um, earlier this year, I believe it was like January, February, there was a lot of like expose in the news media and and everywhere on um, certain baby food brands actually being contaminated with heavy metals and other toxic concerns. So baby led weaning kind of takes that piece out of the equation and, and you're literally just feeding your baby what you would eat and you know you're not going for something that's packaged and processed and has this potential exposure not to mention so when we're talking about the toxicity we can see um, arsenic lead mercury uh, cadmium all of these that can have 
long-term neurological toxic effects. So we can see this influencing cognitive function, so brain health. We can actually see this expressed in smaller head circumference, stunted growth. Uh, we can see anemia because the iron stores are hindered by that other toxic metal taking the place of the iron binding uh, capacity. So this is really widely concerning. And again, especially we're seeing this in those first baby foods, which is really sad because they're, they're the most vulnerable beings based on their birth weight and the impact of that influence on their, their kilograms or their weight. The other thing I would note, Becky, beyond toxicity is a lot of the pouches. Yeah. Um, so I'm really anti-pouch for that reason as well. And we never did. We didn't even do, I thought maybe we would do some like homemade pouches. And again, this is one of those like, is it baby led weaning because it's pureed, but is it better to get kale in if you wanted mm -hmm. um, and you have an on the go trip? I, I, I never did pouches with Stella. We never did purees. We did do smoothies, but we did not do smoothies until she was really more regulated with her uh, volume intake with liquids. And so smoothies started more at like 16 months for okay. Stella. Um, the big thing with pouches that we're seeing is even like the organic brands, we can see black mold and we can see a lot of foodborne contamination like salmonella and other pathogens, which again, babies and toddlers very susceptible to that impact on dysbiosis and gut health, which could be really concerning. Yeah, the convenience factor is just not worth it. And the fact that you can't see inside the pouch and like if something is growing in there or looks off, you know, you can certainly smell it. But um, maybe, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I think because you just crank those off and hand right, them to right. the kiddo and yeah. you're kind of too late. Yeah. Um, and then those puffs, I know you guys never did any of that either. Yeah. And those are, I see those like coming out at, at every dinner table now that we're out uh, happy hour style with our baby. <laughs> yeah. So I think it was last year I did a like expose on, I don't remember what brand of puffs, but it was a more organic one uh, because yes, even the organic teethers or puffs, Yes, they will use coloring from like kale powder or spinach powder or, you know, purple potato or beet or whatnot. So they may be food coloring free, which is a good step. There's always a continuum of good, better, best. But the majority of those products are also refined carbohydrates. So we're going to see them comprised of rice and or corn. Again, um, you know, the corn, a more known pro-inflammatory react reactor, and either one really devoid of nutrient density. So if we were doing, um, like for Stella in ages, I would say a year to two, um, or during that window when she needed something to teethe on, that's when we were really doing that fruit net with like mm -hmm. frozen mango. We started the frozen mango when she was cutting her bigger teeth. And that was about at like the, the 11 month to like 16 month window. She was doing the frozen mango, which we'd thaw for like a little bit in the fridge, but it was cold and then she could bite and mash that. Um, and then the other thing that we would do is just like broken up pieces of a grass fed chomps beef stick or, um, chicharrones, like a quality pork rind is a great nutrient dense puff, um, that they can still kind of totally. like teeth on yeah. and hold and suck on and, um, provide still a lot of flavor like the Himalayan salt ones. And again, you're getting collagen in there. You're getting glycine. You're supporting their connective tissue and it's clean, single ingredient, whole food. Right. And it's protein versus just the straight naked carb of, of the puffs. Totally. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about maybe some of the nutrient needs and kind of what we're looking to fill. So around that six month mark, actually 
babies do see increased demand for both iron and zinc. So I think this is a really, um, you know, prime time for baby led weaning to come in and um, start to kind of fill in those holes of some of those nutrients. Absolutely. And when we're talking about iron, you know, that's the reason often. So it is the World Health Organization recommendation to exclusively breastfeed for the first six months. And then um, there are pediatrician guidelines to start solids at the four to six month range. So I do recommend, to be clear, waiting that full six months um, and then going based on baby's readiness or desire. The reason why cereals are often recommended is because of that synthetic re-enrichment and they are iron fortified. Um, But when we're talking about fortified foods versus a uh, heme or biologically available form, it is superior to get a heme form of iron, which would be found in your red meat or your fish. So doing grass-fed beef, again, burger patties, which Stella was doing by, like I said, the eight-month mark, um, or bison, um, which could be done in a meatball or a meatloaf type of approach, the uh, grass-fed beef sticks, getting in fish. So there's a great amount of heme iron in salmon, which was her second food, as I mentioned. So she was getting that earlier on. Sardines are fantastic as well. Dark poultry, so doing like the uh, chicken drumstick or um, using ground dark meat in a turkey patty, meatball, burger type thing as well. And then there are the vegetarian forms of iron, which I am, you guys know, a big proponent of eating animal products. So I wouldn't recommend ever just exclusively having your baby as vegetarian because you're going to miss out on all that heme, but you can overall take into account the non-heme forms as well. So this is where we'd see like maybe doing a lentil patty for baby, uh, maybe a pan fried egg yolk, kale, or spinach that you might mix into that. Um, We didn't do any legumes with Stella either, but that could be an option. Totally. And then cooking in a cast iron pan, which is pretty much what we exclusively both do in our households, actually will contribute some iron as well. And then serving vitamin C rich foods with um, those iron sources, so like adding some um, some berries or um, some citrus to kind of suck on along with that can help too. With the greens, yep. yeah. And right, the cast iron pan, you're going to be getting the elemental iron, which is huge too. And then, you know, you could play that by ear whether you decide to get uh, baby's iron stores tested. So because we didn't have any concerns, we decided not to get Stella's iron tested. I just didn't want to put her through the trauma of a blood draw or even, you know, another heel prick uh, to get that information. But had we had any indications or concerns, that's something you can easily do with your pediatrician. And to note, uh, you know, there is a study that was a randomized control uh, back in 2018 called the Bliss Study, where they did not find a significant difference in the plasma ferritin at uh, seven versus 12 months of age. And so there was no concern of depletion of iron stores at that one year mark. And um, yes, the study did suggest for the children to eat iron-rich foods. And again, that's what we just also suggested. I did start to give Stella an iron supplement, um, and I started that around, uh, goodness, I want to say around like 10 or 11 months. And we just did that for about a six month period of time. I will link that. It's a liquid. I actually just got it at Target. And the big things to watch out for in the iron supplements, again, is the synthetic B vitamins. Um, So this one had a little bit of multivitamin in it in the methylated form. Um, It didn't have any folate, but it did have uh, methylcobalamin, so the methylated B12. Um, But I'll I'll link that in the show notes for y'all to check out. 
Yeah, there aren't a lot of great baby liquid multis I was looking the other day because I was like, we should probably start one at some point. Yeah, this one used like prune okay. and apple. Okay. Um, it was clean, the cleanest one I could find. So I'll, I'll cool. be sure to link that. Okay. And then knowing too, you know, baby's history in terms of did you do delayed cord clamping because that actually has a really dynamic impact on their iron status as well. Absolutely. And so that's always a recommendation to try to allow the cord until it stops pulsing um, so that you can deliver all of that, the, the nutrients that are passing through the umbilicus, but also, of course, the iron status is huge there. So Estelle's being an emergency C-section, we did a quote unquote delay, which was like minutes, not mm-hmm. even. And um, so that was another reason why I was more proactive with her sure and in the world of food exploration and bringing foods in also because she was emergency c-section and didn't have that vaginal inoculation through delivery we did the um uh, seeding the vaginal seeding where we used non-sterile gauze and you know put that inside her cheek and on her eyes and in her nose and ears and all the places um, but I still was overly cautious on her gut integrity and her biome and that's why I also kept her pretty tight paleo sure um, and then not using cow's milk as a source of nutrition until at least a year plus or I know for you dairy didn't come in until she cut her two-year molars is that right yeah I believe so okay mm-hmm. um, but knowing that um, milk can actually drive iron deficiency even though that's often what's recommended to like switch over and start weaning from, from yeah. breast milk, I would not do that. Right. Calcium and iron are going to compete with mm-hmm. each other for absorption. So uh, there's always a question about, you know, my baby has started weaning, breastfeeding, or my stores are coming down. What should I do? Um, you know, really, it, it depends on so many reasons of like, are you just using the bottle for comfort or for ritual routine? Because it depends on how much nutrient uh, intake the baby is getting with their diet of solids. I especially tend to get that email like around like the 11 month to 13 month, you know, right, mm-hmm. right at that weaning time anyway. And by the time that Stella was 10 plus months, she was eating ample in the world of calories and macronutrients as far as carbs, protein, and fat. In fact, way over in the protein and fat categories of the standard recommendations based on her body weight, um, but really thriving and doing well. And uh, so we ended up doing a wean with homemade almond milk uh, blended with the canned native forest uh, full fat coconut milk, and then uh, also raw egg yolk. Uh, So I'd heat that and then whisk in the raw egg yolk. Honestly, we only did that a total of like four times because she was kind of like, meh, this isn't mom's milk and like push the bottle Mm -hmm. away. And she would just point to a crib and be like, I'm ready. You can lay it down. (laughs) Um, So that was always just fine too. Yeah. We actually have a baby led weaning beverage i think it's called on the blog that i'll link from way back when i'll have to revisit that (laughs) yes um let's talk a little bit about the potential inclusion of purees in a baby led weaning approach as you mentioned you know it doesn't have to necessarily be only solid foods that they pick up themselves um you know, I remember hearing this from from Lily, and I've been doing a little bit with Noah, where I give him a preloaded spoon of something, 
and I still consider it baby led that, you know, he and I kind of figure out how to get that to his mouth. But I'm thinking like a pate as a way to get iron into the body. Right. I was going to say, that's especially what I was thinking of is, uh, is liver. Yes. So I think, again, it's the cost of benefit of where you feel their diet is at, where you feel their amount of breast milk intake is at and the nutrition that that's providing and where there might be holes in the diet and prioritizing. So if we felt like we wanted to get some of these really nutrient dense foods in, and that's a, a difficult texture to get, then I think absolutely with the, the preloaded spoon, then they're able to, again, still pick up the spoon and bring it to their mouth. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole nother, like using utensils and dexterity skills is, is definitely an area of development there. I personally didn't do that with Stell's. She didn't use a spoon until after age two or any utensils. She was just like really primal paleo. Like we would take at restaurants, those, um, uh, plastic sticky mats and just put those down and just plop all of her food on. And I don't think it was until she went to yoga peace school that she started using like a fork or a spoon. She was just a, a grab and in the mouth kind of gal, but, um, I think that'd be fine. I think that, uh, where I worry about is again, um, the actual force feeding with right. the spoon. And then also a lot of things I think of like that would go on a spoon incorporate for whatever reason, I'm thinking of like yogurt as a big one. It's like, oh, I don't know if that'd be a good thing to bring in so early, mm-hmm. but we've done, um, coconut yogurt, like the Kalina, just cause I was eating it and no, I was like, what is that kept reaching for it? And so we've done a little bit of that preloaded on a spoon, but I have to have like six spoons at that meal because they all end up on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I think, I think grabbing is, is definitely easier for him at this stage, at least. Sure. Yep. Um, let's have a quick break for a word for our sponsor for this episode, NutriSense. Yes. So NutriSense provides continuous glucose monitors or CGM that provide you real-time glucose data. So each sensor lasts for 14 days to tell you 24-7 what's going on with your blood sugar. They provide you with their staff, which are registered dietitians to help you to troubleshoot your highs or lows in blood sugar. And then they follow through with personalized recommendations on how you can improve your health. So I fell in love with NutriSense when I first used my CGM and we have a podcast episode where I shared all about my experience. We'll have an upcoming YouTube video where Becky and I share and she's wearing a CGM right now. Got it on right now. As we're talking to you. (laughs) Uh, But it's really fantastic because NutriSense gives you an app that you can use on your phone that helps you to really combine and visualize your blood sugar data along with your daily activities. So you can enter in shifts in your sleep, your stress, your exercise or movement, of course, everything that you put in your mouth. And what I've seen with clients now working with them is that they'll learn often a lot more food freedom than they had anticipated. So they get to learn about how, oh, maybe a day where I did an intensive exercise class, I'm able to have an extra 20 to 30 grams of carbs and still be producing ketones and still keep my blood sugar levels well in range. Uh, Or I can do that honey crisp apple with Gouda after the workout with no blood sugar impact, you know, less than five point variance. But if I had that same whole apple earlier in the day or um, on a day that I didn't move my body, I'm going to get a dynamic blood sugar response and that's not favorable. So it's a really great way to get this kind of N equals one personalized approach to what you take in your diet, how you feel comfortable with your metabolic flexibility, and then the impact of supplements, stress, and just lifestyle overall. You can use the code ALLYRD 
So unlike our typical code, Ali Miller RD, this is just Ali, A-L-I, R-D. And if you elect to do their monthly subscription plan, you'll get 30%, $30, excuse me, off your monthly subscription plan. Um, and this is a really great way for you to be able to see results, understand them with their team, and then create some experiments in the next couple wears so that you can really fine tooth comb your information to optimize your health. Again, this is Nutrisense.io, and you can use the code AllieRD to save. Okay, so I think one big thing that I know was a concern for me with baby led weaning and getting started at least, now I feel a little bit more confident. He's been doing it about six weeks, but safety, choking, gagging, kind of that whole world of things. So let's talk about kind of yes foods, no foods, and just some of the basics of safety. Sure. So we're generally thinking about cooked soft vegetables. So, you know, we kind of think of the idea of something that they can press their tongue to the roof of the mouth and mash. Um, And so we're looking at soft cooked vegetables. You might consider parboiling or blanching your vegetable. As always with any age child, and I'm a huge proponent of this too, I'm still just not, and I never with Stella did just boiled Mm -hmm. and plain, like because food just doesn't taste good that way. Also, we know when we add fats to foods that that actually aids in the absorption of nutrients for the fat-soluble nutrients. So if we're talking about, for instance, broccoli, that vitamin K would not be as bioavailable if you did not serve that with olive oil. So if we were doing broccoli, we would maybe uh, blanch it. So we would boil it and or steam it and then run cold water over it and then maybe still pan saute that with mm-hmm. olive oil and salt. Uh, so soft cooked vegetables, which might be a par bake or a par boil first, and then uh, fruits can be, of course, raw, So, but we want them to be ripe. Otherwise, they are going to have higher amounts of enzymes that can cause digestive distress. And then meats, we're talking about meats that are minced or ground meats. Um, generally speaking, again, in the kind of texture world, the idea is watching out for safety of things that in the early, it's really the first two to three months of their exploration of baby led weaning. You know, once we see like month eight, nine plus, uh, we often see resolution of the choke hazard. But what we're worried about is things that are soft enough that they're able to gum or with their tiny two teeth or whatever they're dealing with right now with with their oral cavity, that they're able to bite off pieces that mm-hmm. are too large that could get lodged in their throat. Yep. So even thinking of like steaks could be appropriate um, or a lamb chop because they're not going to have the ability to pull that off. So they're kind of more gumming it, just kind of getting the the juices. juices. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, And also, you know, just the basics, like making sure they're sitting up at 90 degrees, not tired, I think is a big one that I've learned with Noah. Like if he's sleepy... We just skip for that night. Um, yeah. We're typically doing a feeding at dinner where he's having a meal with us because that's when we actually sit down. But if he's tired, we just skip it because otherwise he's like leaning his head forward and, and that makes me really nervous. Um, and also what I found works best for him is just feeding him, like breastfeeding him 
prior, um, at least in the early days of exploration. So the food is just kind of a little, you know, dessert kind of on top of that. He's already at least eaten one breast worth of milk. Um, and then I would, you know, close his evening with the other one, um, just so he's not super like fussy and all over the place too. Um, and it doesn't feel like as much pressure, I think for him. And then they're not right. Anxious or hungry where they're packing the food in and then they're getting overwhelmed with the swallowing process. Yeah. And I think that that is one element within baby led weaning, which is important to call out because they are in our in control or are autonomous that they can, if they don't have good satiety signaling early on, or they're eating foods at too high of a hunger, uh, point that they might pack too much Mm -hmm. in. And so that is definitely something to watch for, especially the things that tend to be a little drier. Uh, And so that's also where I worry about the world of proteins. Um, We really did, uh, like I said, the the baked or roasted salmon and the burger patty, the majority of the time in the world of meats, just because it was just easy to process. And for Stell's in the world of drying, we always, by the time we brought meats and fish in, she would always have that avocado and then maybe like one more thing. Like I said, we kind of did threes. Uh, so maybe it'd be blueberries or maybe it would be uh, that cooked sweet potato and coconut oil. And um, I think that the produce paired with the protein also helps with the moisture effect. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't really bring water into her diet um, until, you know, she was had access to sipping water at like eight plus months, but really until a year plus. And I think this is the time I'll tell that funny story. Um, so at her like one year mark, um, she had really good, again, gentle dexterity. So we were out to restaurant with Becky actually, and she was holding a glass, uh, cup. I actually didn't do, I didn't want to do sipping cups and I didn't do any sippy cups until we went to water bottles at age two, when she was like actually taking something to her yoga peace school or something like that. Um, just because of, again, kind of the Montessori mindset of like, I wanted her to learn that like she could dump water on herself if she didn't lift it carefully mm-hmm. and, and have that um, awareness, I guess, of, of function and balance and, and whatnot. And so she was literally one, I know for the, the fact, because we had just moved into our new house and she had this little glass cup and she was pretty much chugging water. And I thought it was so cute because it was like a little six ounce size juice cup. And my little one-year-old was so gentle. And and so they were refilling her water. She probably had like three full six ounce cups of water (laughs) with a dinner meal when she also had burger, avocado, and strawberries or something like that. And then we came home and we were hanging out and she was drinking out of my pint glass filled with water. And then when Brady put her down that night, um, I, Becky and I were hanging out, working or whatever, and so I had pumped, and he was feeding her a bottle. And as she was starting to drink the bottle, she just like projectile vomited <laughs> all over him because the balance of her electrolytes were so thrown, and she had basically diluted all of her enzymes. So all of that food was just sitting, sloshing around with water, and then she was trying to take in the milk. And Brady was like, ah, that was the first time she ever vomited. And um, honestly, she's only vomited twice at age five, which is crazy. Um, she's got a good microbiome. But that was one of those like, aha, so don't overfeed. I wouldn't present water as a standard item, mm-hmm. but you might want to be mindful of thinking of produce with your proteins sure. for yep. that reason, because yep. otherwise your risk for constipation with too dense of protein. Yep. Oh man, poor Brady like FaceTimed us from the the what top floor do? of the house. She's like, help, what do I do? Get up here. And I knew immediately I was like, oh my gosh, yep. she probably yep. drank like yep. 
I swear, 24 ounces of water. That's crazy. That's way bigger than her stomach can hold. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. so don't do that. And then I think the other really big thing is just watching your kid when they're eating, like sitting right with them, being within reach so that if they get into trouble where they bite off too big of a piece, you can kind of just grab that like hook finger um, and pull it out if, if need be, or um, if they need, you know, a swift pat on the back. Uh, let's share, Becky, the differences of choking and gagging. It's more fresh for you, so I would love you to share with the audience. Sure. Um, so yeah, choking obviously is a complete blockage of the airway, and we want to think about this, you know, baby being in distress, no sound. So if they're coughing, sputtering, anything's like coming out of their mouth, um, then they're not choking. Um, they're just gagging. Um, but they're there's no sound baby looks distressed or is even like turning, you know, red or then blue obviously would be, you know, necessity of, of intervention. And that was something Byron and I did. We're like, okay, we're going to like relearn baby first aid and Heimlich and CPR Mm -hmm. before we really start presenting food. So we watched those videos like several times. Um, and then gagging is a, a productive cough. So it's bringing up food. It's audible. It's noisy. There might be like sputtering, spit, saliva, bits of food. And that's that protective reflex. The baby needs to learn to do that because they're pushing the food that they can't swallow, you know, back out of the mouth. So in that case, you don't want to intervene because you want them to learn from that and and learn to kind of process and they'll learn, you know, maybe not such a big piece next time. Right. And I think in the early stages, like the first month, that's where you would be doing that like hook or J finger yep. is in a gag um, scenario. Obviously, you can't reach back if there's a no, choke. No. And so if it's distressing the child mm-hmm. and they seem, I mean, it's so interesting because the first couple times that anything solid goes down, they ha- they will have like a kind of scared oh, yeah. face yep. because their their eyes shock. get really big. <laughs> yep. And they're like, oh my gosh, something's going down there. Should it be? Should it be? And then they kind of start to try to bring it back up. And so, yeah, you can let them work those esophageal uh, muscles, um, and that's okay. And, and just stay calm with them. You might even put your hand on them and tell them it's okay. Do you need to get rid of it? Okay, you know. And if they seem distressed, I think then you can help them sure. out in that sense. Yep. But um, it is a very normal process, and I think that that's a part of them learning, you know, how to swallow, sure. healthy eating. And by like eight, nine months, that's often going to resolve and baby's kind of figured out the chew, chew, swallow situation. Yes. And I think doing the, both having eye contact with your child, but also doing like the exaggerated Mm -hmm. oral chew mouth. I think that's huge to teach them like, look, and it is important to note that although solids may seem higher risk factor, that there are research studies, uh, one that came out in 2017 that demonstrated that baby led weaning is not associated with increased risk of choking. Yeah, assuming that you're doing the right foods, you're watching them, taking all the precautions, you're all good. And then, you know, obviously we wouldn't want to be doing um, like raw vegetable yet, um, like cucumber sticks or raw strips of of bell pepper, raw carrot sticks are a biggie. Obviously, don't do popcorn or whole nuts and and kind of any of those. Or really nut butters. Nuts are one that I would keep out. We both believe that as a health food, you want to introduce that as an antigen. I'm not a big fan of bringing in gluten for that reason. That's Mm -hmm. kind of a mixed match um, of, oh, do you want to present a allergen food to help their immune system learn and be less reactive in, you know, the forward years of their life? 
I believe with gluten that's not worth because I don't think that gluten has much health supporting properties. I don't think that it's something that I want inclusive in my child's diet period. And that again, element of two years of having that gut blood barrier integrity, that epithelial lining of the gut, giving that the two years for gluten. But I did introduce uh, nuts, seeds, nut butters, um, but not as a butter because of course the nut butter first is going to be sticky. Mm -hmm. So early on um, we did like uh, almond flour in something. And then, um, and really that was the first texture of something dry like that was her first birthday cake. And that had, uh, coconut, um, milk in it and mashed banana was the only sweetener and then almond flour pretty much, um, an egg. And so it was interesting. And then we did like a frosting with like pureed raspberries and coconut butter. And, um, we'll link that recipe on the blog as well. It's something you could do as also just like a cut up cake muffin thing for them to eat. And I think nut flour muffins would be reasonable. Stella though, just wasn't a really big fan of that texture for up until like age two, honestly. Yeah, I'm thinking because I've gotten eggs in with Noah um, as one of those foods that used to be kind of controversial in terms of timeline of introduction um, and banana that he loves. And I'm like, I could do a nut butter pancake Pancake. type thing, like cut into strips pretty soon. I think he would really like that, especially if I serve it with some like mashed berries or something like that. Um, I think that would be really good. And really that whole world of, of allergenic foods, I agree with you on the gluten, but otherwise, um, the school of thought there has kind of changed, um, in terms of, you know, wanting to introduce that like by nine, 10 months or so, it's just a matter of, of ease of introduction of some of the nuts and things like that. But I don't think I'll do soy or gluten or dairy anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing with dairy, there's just such a strong trend with ear infections, mm-hmm. Otis media, and, and chronic ear infections are the number one cause of antibiotics as an early intervention. And so that was a big one that I stood really strong on and firm until she got, like you said, those two-year molars. Uh, what was I else going to say? So watching out for skins on yep. vegetables, which yep. is one of the big things of avoiding the raw uh, and then in the, even like the nut butter pancake type thing, I think I would probably wait till they've mastered like 10 foods mm-hmm. maybe just because of the moisture factor. Right. So unless you are, like you said, to like smash it or put something on it. Um, I think that the dryness tends to lead to more of a, a choke because it's just, it's not lubricated. Right. So things that are going to slide down easier, the better. Um, I don't know why we wouldn't do though, like gelatin early on. Yeah. I didn't do that with Stella, but I think it'd be a great option for that reason. Again, very easy to swallow and you could cut like gummy cubes and or that'd something. Be fun. We should totally do yeah. that soon. Um, yep. I think that that'd be a really great one and, and great again, nutritional support there. Yep. Um, and then obviously special considerations for, you know, tongue tie, cleft palate, things like that, um, might need to do more of a hybrid model or, or more purees. Yes. And things like hypertonia, you would know because they'd have issues really sitting up and Mm -hmm. holding their, their core structure, which is, that's why it's kind of a prerequisite if you will. And then, uh, yes, if your child did have anemia, you just might want to consider supplementation. We took a break after that, uh, sponsor NutriSense and I tried to find the iron supplement that I used with Stells and I cannot find it for the life of me anymore. Um, so I don't have one right off the bat at this time to recommend. Yeah, a lot of them have um, either like agave as the first ingredient, which, you know, we can't do honey with a baby under one, so that's likely why, but that wouldn't be a first choice. Or I saw some with like non-caloric sweeteners, and I don't think I'd be into that. I think I would just push for 
real food forms and, and, you know, getting the red meat in what, three, four times a week in terms of ground meat. Yeah, absolutely. And liver. And I really believe that Stella at early as 10 months could have taken down four ounces of red meat in a day. (laughs) I mean, so that was never really an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk about, um, balancing baby led weaning with either daycare or, Um, care by a caregiver who's just not comfortable or confident, or maybe the daycare has like rules that, you know, they need to do purees. How would that work? So I think that, you know, the big idea is, is exposure to food twice daily. And then as they become more autonomous and they actually do wean from breastfeeding, then we're looking at them eating about five times, four to five times a day. And so the first, you know, I think four to six weeks is establishing comfort and swallow function. And pretty soon, I'm sure Noah will start doing like banana and something and like a 10 a.m. before Mm -hmm. that midday nap or something, right? Um, And so I think it's just figuring out within your schedule, if you are sending your child to daycare, you might be doing that first feed at 7 a.m. or whatnot, or that might be a little, I would always avoid naked carbs. So if you are going to do banana or blueberries, it would still be very important. Maybe that would be with salmon. And then, you know, you might do two ounces of salmon and maybe 10 blueberries or something like that. And then that evening dinner meal, you would do another protein choice and then, you know, a carb for maybe the cooked starchy veg and then maybe a fruit or maybe the avocado there. Um, I'm thinking the morning thing of keeping things so you don't have to change the baby twice. (laughs) Uh The less messy stuff. Uh Um, But yeah, I think that that works really well. And then they would, during the day, just have like the three bottles, um, you know, from pumped breast milk, ideally. And then you get them home and you do that next meal and then it's a feed and it's bedtime. Right. And I think with baby led weaning, it doesn't have to be this like black and white either or. So if a caregiver is having to give purees in there too, I don't think it's the end of the world. Right. It would just be if if necessary because right. some caregivers will deny doing baby led weaning. Sure. That's for sure. Yep. Because they don't feel comfortable or that's not their approach. Um, and so you either would choose to omit or you would choose to make your, I would, I would then at that point make my own puree Uh if I felt like my child needed it. And I guess I would ask that I would say, I'm just going to keep sending bottles. If you feel like they're all sitting in high chairs and my child is, is crying or looking distressed or seeming hungry, then this is what we'll do. Sure. Um, maybe I'll share some of Noah's. Yeah, (laughs) I guess I've shared some like along the way. Um, but, um, as I mentioned, I started like right at that six month mark. So I was like, Oh, it's a six month birthday. We need to like cap it or celebrate it with, I think we did sweet potato cooked in coconut oil, um, as the first food. And I used a little bone broth in there to like really soften because I had baked it in the oven and I wanted it like super soft. Um, and he wasn't, he was interested, but he had no idea like what the heck to do. So we ended up like taking pieces and bringing it toward his mouth. And then he would take like the finger to his mouth and I'm like, okay, that's baby led weaning enough that he's like autonomous in moving my finger. Mm-hmm. But we made the mistake of taking a video and sending it to <laughs> our parents. And he's like coughing, not choking, but coughing. Everyone's like, oh my God, you can't do that. You need to do this, that, the other thing. Um, but we started with the sweet potato and really kept him there for like probably the first two weeks or so Um, and then he started to like show a little bit more autonomy doing like a finger size portion of sweet potato and being able to kind of pick it up and 
move with it. Um, and then we introduced avocado slices, which he digs, and it's just such an easy form of fat um, that we'll often, you know, be putting half of it on our meal salad and then just slice the other half because god knows half of it's going on the floor yep. <laughs> <laughs> luckily we have a dog for for cleanup we don't need like the tarp or anything um and then from there we've done um banana which has been a, a huge hit for sure um i'll do like banana spears where i take maybe a third of a banana or so and cut it into four little spears um he's doing berries where i crush them so either blueberry or blackberry crushed or whole strawberry as long as I'm kind of watching that he doesn't suck the whole thing and I bet now he can do whole blueberries yeah Yeah, I think he probably could I'm just being cautious yeah Um, yeah but just seeing how he's evolved already um he's like grabbing it from eating it when we made those sweet potato fries on the YouTube video he crushed like I feel like 10 yep or something yep it's impressive like how quickly he's yep. caught on to it. Um, so we've brought in salmon at this point, just mostly like shared off my plate. Um, but I think that'll become like a much more staple protein in our household just because it's so easy and I could prep, you know, some for the next day even to do it that second meal. Um, he's also gotten eggs, which he really likes in a scrambled form. We tried omelet yesterday where it was like, minced sweet potato like teeny tiny bits of of leftover sweet potato in the strips of eggs we cut the omelet into strips and he was like I don't understand this combination (laughs) of food so uh, that wasn't a big hit and then we've done um, meatballs as well you could do like a sweet potato cake thing yeah like a like a latke kind of thing yeah I bet you'd be into that that with eggs as a binder Uh Uh or like Um, a hash kind of vibe yeah I think he'd be really into that but I mean he's he's rocking and rolling he's like it's doing awesome. really well now it's seven and a half months so we'll be doing some burger patty tonight with some sweet Ooh, potato first time um he's had ground beef in like a meatball form okay but I don't think we've given him burger so we'll see we'll Ooh, see how it goes it's exciting and you're not really doing water by, by any means at meal time it's just again something kind of fun to play with or how's yeah, the water thing in your world like a training a couple different i've gotten like all of the devices um but like a training cup that he can just pick up there's one with two handles that he can pick up from the sides and then there's one that's just like a little looks like a mini stemless like wine glass almost mm-hmm. um and so i've put literally an inch of water just so he can experience like oh it spilled out um or if he's eating something that seems super dry like i'll offer it but he hasn't really mm-hmm. gone for it and probably once he's standing and pulling up is like when they're kind of accustomed to then like want something to like put in their you know like right. on the the uh, living room table or whatever and then that's like okay now yep. I have this cup thing yeah he does like to watch us drink wine a lot <laughs> um, so he like listens it's so pretty yep I feel like he's gonna like learn the the art of drinking out of a glass just from watching that yeah Stell's was pretty I'm trying to remember when we started kombucha with her but it was pretty early it wasn't within the first year uh, but it was before she was two for sure and uh, that's always been she didn't have any juices uh, but kombucha and then smoothies came from that one to two year window where I felt like those were both health supporting and 
you know, a good beverage in between. And it's so crazy because pretty soon I'm thinking as we're going out to dinner this Friday together, I'm like, ooh, are you going to bring him a bento box? Like maybe he's, he's probably he's coming. He's kind of ready. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Or he's going to get annoyed just watching us right. eat. He's going to be like, I want my fruit nut with my apple right. while you guys are drinking your wine. And then next course, I want this. Right. <laughs> and I will say, um, I don't know the name of it off the top of my head, but Allie's parents got me this amazing chair that like clips on. Yeah. We to, had one too. Um, the table. Yeah. I saw it with you guys I was like I need that um but it clips onto the table when you're dining out if it's like an inch thick you know wooden or something table um and babe can just like sit in that and then the um the mats the like sticky mats have been a huge hit so I'll link both of those things in the show notes as well as my favorite silicone bibs because I feel like those are like game change would never do a different bib yeah. And a lot of people like those silicone mats, but for dining out, I just like those disposable ones. I'm not going to lie. Um, I hate to be a little wasteful, but just things would get really messy and you just, mm-hmm. done, yep. not throwing that back into the bag. And, um, I was going to make one more point. What about like ordering out at a restaurant? Like there's always something you can get. Yeah. Them. Like, I mean, I'll just do avocado slices now because it's easy and he doesn't need much. Right. Um, but I'll often ask a restaurant for either pear or apple. Mm-hmm. Usually they have that like to top on a salad or something. Or again, that's something you would just bring from home. Yep. And then yes, avocado usually one to ask for. And then I find if, you know, the types of places I'm going only have grass-fed beef anyway. So I would, we were getting her burgers at age 10 months and mm-hmm. people would be like, wait, really? And I'd say, yeah. And then they'd watch her like crush half a patty. Like and they were like, Holy for cow. the baby? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yes, for sure. Awesome. Uh, let's talk uh, just to round things out, supplementation. So I know in, was it your, the birth story, or I'm not sure, the breastfeeding one, we were talking about you starting him pretty much right off the bat with our vitamin D balanced blend. Yeah. Um, is he still taking the same dosage? Has he met, or we wait till 20 pounds and he's in the high teens now, or how's the vitamin D status looking? And then um, where is he at with other supplements? So I bought him our like... Um, <laughs> finger poke test that I was going to do a little heel prick and I just can't bring myself to <laughs> to do it to check his. Um, so I checked my vitamin D and I was at like 55. Um, so assuming that I'm supplementing, that my status is kind of low end of what I like, but ag- adequate. Um, and then I'm supplementing him. I'm still doing um, the same-ish dosage. I may have like rolled it up a little bit, but I, I end up doing it probably every other day or so of um, the 0.25, anywhere from 0.25 to like 0.5 ml. ML. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't gone up by weight yet, but he will be at 20 pounds like pretty yeah. soon. And it's important to note that for kids now, you know, just in the last really decade, honestly, for many pediatricians, just in the last couple of years, have they started recommending the vitamin D supplementation. And it is important to note and a big kind of call to action that if the children are doing vitamin D supplementation for an extended period of time, we really worry about how that affects their calcium deposits in the body. Uh, We know that vitamin D for prolonged time periods can drive 
of calcification of soft tissues, as well as a driver for kidney stones. Uh, but we do know that there's so many benefits of this pro-hormone vitamin D from anything like metabolism to mood to immune health, growth and development, brain health, and so much more. So when they use the vitamin D balance blend from the Naturally Nourished line, they're getting that K1 and K2, and the vitamin K1 and K2 aid in the distribution and utilization of the vitamin D to prevent that soft tissue calcification. And so I really am a strong proponent. I don't know if any other than our line, pediatric vitamin D supplements that have that combination of K1, K2, uh, but I do find it to be really important for you know the prolonged use, which they should be supplementing with because there's so much uh, literature to support the benefits. Yeah, all the ones I've seen out there are just D3, and they often recommend an inadequate dose. Yeah. Um, or it'll be a combination of DHA plus D3, and the D3 in it is like you know, 100 IU, if that. Yeah, isn't that, so the DHA, are you still doing the Nordic Naturals uh, baby's DHA? I think I have the Metagenics, actually, okay. baby DHA. And does that have that little bit of D in and there? The a Nordic did, too. So, yeah, I, I wasn't even considering that and how much D I'm giving him, so. Yeah. He's, he's getting plenty. Yes, and so you started doing the DHA, though, after six months? Or yeah. Because that's actually a pretty hefty after like a couple months, MLs. Yeah, right? and I, I don't think he's getting the full okay. <laughs> amount in his mouth. Um, but I, I didn't start that until he was like sitting up, taking in Swallowing. food. And that I have a hard time with because I'm like, oh, do I drizzle on his food and make everything taste like fish? Or do I shove this spoon in his mouth? And that's more of like the force feeding thing that he doesn't really dig it, which I don't blame him. It, it's mm-hmm. liquid fish oil. Um, yeah. So we're still figuring that out. He's probably only getting it in like three times a week right okay. now. But I figure if we're doing, you know, salmon for a lot of his meals, he doesn't need it yeah. every meal. Steli, we just used the dropper mm-hmm. direct to her mouth and um, then just pulled it off the thing and washed it. Yep. Uh, and so every night I would like rinse it with hot water and then put that out by her vanity. And that we just did that as a nighttime ritual. Um, so that worked out well. And then um, the Ultraflora Baby is the probiotic mm-hmm. that we both used. Uh, we'll link that in the show notes as well. And that can go like six to 12 drops a day. Um, something to definitely be proactive with, especially when you bring in, again, more solids that can drive constipation. Yep. So you might want to keep a little bit of like a food journal. If your child's bowels, they definitely will change mm-hmm. uh, once you start adding solids. Uh, and you know, that's when you really need that good, robust microbiome to complete the digestive process for you. So really, I think if you aren't doing a probiotic with your baby yet, and you are doing some form of solid introduction, that's the time to also bring in probiotic supplementation. And you could as early as for sure one year, um, this is still a little too early, but at one year when the baby is pretty rock and roll with solids, you can absolutely switch to the kid's biotic, Mm -hmm. which on the label will say age two and up. The concern is just a choking hazard. And so what you would do is just break up that tablet into like half or quarters. And that's for sure going to be fine. And they can chew it up. Or you can even crush it with the back of a spoon and stir it into a bite of food. food. Um, And you could do that like every other day up until they turn two. And then they'd go daily based on their weight again. Yeah. Um, And yeah, Noah's digestion so far has been rock and roll. Like knock on wood. hasn't hasn't skipped a day since starting solid so it's pretty awesome. pretty regular with that um, let's talk about the things you added and how you mitigated the cradle cap stuff that was starting to that was really more of an issue like what months three and yeah. four or yep. two and three or 
Because we haven't talked about early. Noah for a while. No, <laughs> I know. You guys missed it. Um, so that was probably, it was when I was in Connecticut. So that was like November to December. Um, he started to present with like pretty gnarly looking, I thought, cradle cap. Um, although after I looked at some I pictures. I say, not comparatively to Google images. Yeah, when I, when I did the Google image thing, I'm like, oh, this is actually a very mild case. Um, but I was concerned it had like a ring pattern to it. I'm like, oh my God, does my baby have ringworm? What is this? And Allie's like, no, no, that's like cradle cap plus eczema. They kind of go hand in hand. Don't worry. Um, and so I think the exposure to dry air plus um, some changes in my diet. Um, I think I was drinking more wine with like family stressors, probably eating more carb. And I think that all contributed. And my mom has cats in her house and I'm like the dander. Yeah. That and and the allergen piece. Um, So when I was doing proactively while I was up there um, was a ton of coconut oil and like using a pretty firm um, brush to just like brush the flakes off. Like a silicone off. brush or was it? Um, yeah, it has like silicone. It's by Frida, uh, Frida Baby. Yeah, the same ones that make the, the snot sucker and the windy and all of those lovely baby tools. They have a cradle cap system. And so you kind of use the silicone brush to um, scrub the flakes. And then there's like a comb that you go through and actually lift them. Um, So I was doing that topically and that seemed to help with the coconut oil. And then um, I also ended up reading, it was like Googling every night, like what can I add to his bath? Um, I read about doing baking soda as like a pH reset. Um, So I basically made a scrub with like baking soda, coconut oil, and a couple drops of lavender oil, which is antimicrobial. And antifungal, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And just like slathered his head and like gave it a good scrub. And I swear he hasn't had a spot of it (laughs) since. Um, And around that time, I had also brought in an Espilardi powder. So thinking again, like antifungal support, additional probiotics um, by Claire Labs. And that could be just added to a bottle or like licked off a finger or sprinkled on your breast. Um, I think that'd be a good one for mamas with any kind of like mastitis, mastitis. or um, yeast flares too that baby is getting. Um, and I added on SBI Protect um, powder. So it's a dairy-free immunoglobulin support that I was doing a little bit of in his bottle. And I swear since starting that, um, and I was pretty provigilant with that, like leading up to starting solids too, but his skin has been pretty porcelain and amazing ever since. Yeah. I think the SPI protect especially is one to consider, uh, as you're bringing in solids, if we're thinking about the world of gut integrity, because like you said, those immunoglobulins do play a role with supporting that epithelial lining, reducing the immunological response to food. So there's less inflammation, less likelihood of eczema. And so I think as you're transitioning into solids, that's a great uh, tactic. I started using the SBI Protect with Stell's uh, with like cold flu stuff. And so if you heard her coughing earlier in this episode, she stayed home today from school. And so she got some SBI protect in a dairy free green smoothie. And, uh, that's just a really great way, uh, that, and then the immunoglobulins in our grass fed way now that she's almost five. Um, but yeah, I think that that's a really great thing to consider. And then when you said you used a little bit of bone broth, um, in the world of like therapeutic foods, 
Um, where do you foresee? So we talked about maybe doing like some gelatin yeah. stuff. Um, and then I guess, you know, bone broth can be used also in, you know, cooking other foods. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, I mean, if you're starting to play with the cups and enjoys it, Stella did start sipping bone broth at, at about a year okay. um, when she was sipping stuff. Never hot. It was always just like room temp. We'd let it just cool to room temp. Um, but I feel like especially in the hot Texas sun, it's good for electrolytes and yeah. all that yeah, jazz yeah. too. I'm sure he'll dig it too. Um, he's liked it with the sweet potatoes and um, he even showed a lot of interest. We were eating like a bone broth based soup I think it was like a split pea thing that I mm-hmm. I never make I made it you know leftover from Easter with some other stuff um but he showed so much interest that I was like you can try it like mm-hmm. here um so I think you know just getting more of kind of what we're eating and then I think the liver will probably be the next thing that I want to try to incorporate with him um I'm not sure yet if I'll do organ blend like in terms of a meatball or a patty or if I'm just going to go for it with making a pate um, that we can all eat but I think that'll be my next like big venture yeah that'll be awesome I definitely didn't like I said Stell's stayed so single ingredient for so long and we were on the road so that had something to do with it Mm -hmm. for six weeks of her age 10 months into you know almost a year and so I think that that had to do with just like keeping it really simple yeah (laughs) I didn't have the capacity or kitchen uh but it worked out just fine so I'll have to have another one to play with these gummies and the liver and some of those things she only got in liver via um the ancestral blends and that was after a year when I would incorporate in a burger patty but I will say her palate is pretty legit in the sense that like Brady will make eyes at me if something's metallic to him mm-hmm. and he'll be like mm, owls and kind of like <laughs> get annoyed and Stella's just like mm, that was good can I have more burger at least she has no um, indicator of when it's an organ blend or not which is pretty That's funny great. Brady's like beep 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 detection <laughs> so uh, hopefully you enjoyed today's episode all about baby led weaning I'm sure we'll have more conversation and fun as Noah turns into toddler world and all of the changes that come about if you enjoyed today's episode make sure you take a moment to go on over to wherever you're listening and give us a five-star review and also if you're always looking for recipe inspiration be sure to check out the blog at naturallynourishedrd.com and at allymillerrd.com is where you can check out our books there are fantastic recipes in the anti-anxiety diet cookbook which is a tangible book which has an entire kids chapter and that's a really great resource Uh, There's also like bone broth five ways, why we hate non-caloric sweeteners and all sorts of fun baked goods and things. And then the Naturally Nourished ebook is available as well, which has a 12-week food as medicine meal plan, which can be great for planning for families uh, or individuals alike. So thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.